Good morning. I guess I just take this off. Getting part of the minority on that side of the room. We prayed a lot this morning, but I feel like we need to send one more prayer to our Lord this morning. Um, it's been a tough week. It seems like more and more we hear stuff in the news. And so there's no other way that I know of how to address that but to spend some more time with the Lord. So let's lift one more thing to the Lord this morning. Father, we, our hearts are broken. Our hearts are broken for the families and the, and the schools as we see our kids go off to, to Kids Zone and Junior Church. And, and we think of those who just go to school on a daily basis. And, and yet in some parts of the world, Father, ever closingly, it feels unsafe. And God, we thank you that you are the victor. Help us not necessarily understand the circumstances that, that we face because it may, we may not understand. Um, we may not have the answers. But help us be like you, compassionate people who strive to love you and to love others. Help us care for those who are hurting. Whether they make the news or not, Father, we are surrounded by those who are hurting. And so, Father, as we explore your words today, as we explore that one part of the Trinity in our lives today that uh, perhaps we may not have a great understanding on, Lord, Father, we ask that you continue to heal us, mold us in this work of the spiritual formation so that we may just experience you closer and closer until we see your face. Because that's your call for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, this is my first time on this side. It's more comfortable down there. I just want to say that. Um, but it's so neat to be able to share with you this morning. My wife and I have been here for almost a couple of years now. Uh, we got married a couple of years ago, and, you know, we talk about what, you know, Holy Spirit does. I believe that the fact that we are here, that God brought us here to Eagle Ridge was the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, I, I've been a church planter for, for several years before my wife and I met, um, and as a single guy, I have a denominational family that, that really supports me. Um, my wife always tells me what I lack in numbers when it comes to earthly family. I, I just have so many people who, who I call family. Um, and, and even though we were only out to have 25 on each side of our families for our wedding, I had problems cutting off people because of the pandemic. And so I was just so blessed to to see that. And, but when, when we got married, one of the things that we both got convicted on by the Spirit was the need to be surrounded by Christians, surrounded by people who love God and would walk with us. And I had always admired what Pastor David has, uh, his leadership here in Eagle Ridge. And so as we, you know, started to explore churches in Coquitlam that are like-minded, I said, hey, let's check out Eagle Ridge. It's a like, nice little walk away. And you all have been nothing but just so supportive as we share this ministry field. Um, and, you know, not a lot of churches are like that because we always tend to think, oh, we don't want people to go to another church. You know what? There are so many people, 150,000 plus people in Coquitlam, the city of Coquitlam alone, and less and less people. In fact, the last three years before the pandemic, I just recently found out a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, the number of Christians 
who left the church between 2016 and 2019 increased dramatically in those three years to a point where it went from 6% in Canada who say they believe what the scripture says to about four. In just those three years, there hasn't been a drop like that for a very long time. And so we all need to partner together. Uh, we all need to have a different kind of gospel collaboration where we just work for one another, cheer one another on. So we're just so thankful that as we walk through the doors, we didn't know what to think, and, and yet you've all been so thankful and, well, put us to work. Rachel's been enjoyed playing piano, and I sometimes like to click things here and there um, on the slides. But it's, so, it's just so neat to, to be able to partner and to share our God and help reach our collective region here in Coquitlam. And by no means did the Holy Spirit just move us here. I actually believe the fact that I met Rachel as a single guy was a work of the Holy Spirit. Because I met Rachel when I was 37 years old. Yes, I'm 40 this year. Oh. Um, I met Rachel when I was 37 years old, and my only other girlfriend growing up was in my early 20s. So when you go a decade and a half as a single guy, as a Christian, as a pastor, there's a lot of people who think you need a wife. <laughs> Countless. It was once, I used, before, before the pandemic began, I used to serve coffee in my neighborhood. That's, that's an outreach type of deal. And there's a neighbor, lovely old lady who, uh, who I've been trying to reach now for 10 years now. Um, and one morning she said, hey, Conrad, after, after the coffee time, why don't we go for lunch? I said, well, sure. It's not the first time we've gone for lunch after coffee. Let's just do that. And, but then that Saturday morning as she came for coffee, she was a little too anxious for my liking. And then uh, as, as we're heading towards lunch, I, all of a sudden I thought, oh my gosh. I looked at her and I said, please tell me you're not trying to set me up with a girl who's waiting for me at that restaurant right now. And she said, well, what if I was? I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and I said, well, I, you know, I hope you didn't promise her anything because I, well, you're a Christian, she's a Christian, why not? I said, oh gosh, all right. So I met her, and, and so we sat down at the restaurant, and, and I said, uh, just making small chitter-chatter, right? I said, uh, you know, hey, I understand you're a Christian. That's great. Uh, which church are you connected at? I always say, I always ask people, which church are they connected at as opposed to which church do they go to? Because there's a deeper connection when you say the word connect. And so she said to me, well, I've been pretty lazy, actually. Um, uh, but when I do go, I, I, I go to mm, church. I'm not going to name the church because it's not the church's fault she doesn't go. It's a personal journey. And, and so I found a way to get out of that. And afterwards, a neighbor asked me, well, why didn't you give her a chance? And I said, well, look, I, I know you don't understand. I know you don't understand where I'm coming from. You don't, I know you don't share my faith just yet. I hope you do one day. But let me tell you, if I, if I long to get married, if I, if I want to get married. I, I want my wife, I want a woman who loves God, loves serving people, and loves God by serving people. That's it. Didn't think it was going to be that hard, but that's it. And then there were times where I got myself in trouble too, because, you know, a lot of people tell me, start telling me, oh, you should, you should, you should date, you should date. Oh, don't, don't, 
you know, not, not, don't focus on that too much. Just see what it's like. You never know what that person is like until you try dating them. It's, and so, you know, definitely you start thinking about friends you have in your life and you think, okay, gee, I wonder, you know, and there's one particular friend of mine and, you know, she and I got along and, and but I know when I talk, that as, as much as he loves serving people, as much as he loves hanging out, as much as he's a good girl who goes to church, I had some questions about her faith. I had some questions about where, you know, how steadfast is her faith. But again, when you're surrounded by people who are telling you, hey, give it a chance, give it a chance, give it a chance. So I s thought about it. And then one day, a group of us were in a restaurant, uh, and, and at the end of the time, most of the people went to the bathroom. So as it turned out, I was just alone with her. And I thought, well, if I'm gonna ask her to see if she wants to go on a date, that would be a good time. And so I'm starting to get thinking in my head about what words I want to say. And all of a sudden, my body started to shake. And it wasn't like nervous, I don't know, shaking kind of thing. It was literally to the words, don't do it, you idiot. <laughs> you see, the Holy Spirit knows me very well. It's not any spiritual mumble-jumble from the scripture that I got told. It was the words that I would say to myself, don't do it, you idiot. A couple of months later, I got affirmed on that non-decision. Um, if you want to ask, I'll, I'll tell you another time. But the Holy Spirit works. And then I tell you what, though, sometimes when I tell that story, so well, maybe you really should give them the chance. So, the one time I tried internet dating, there's nothing wrong with internet dating. People, I'm actually doing a wedding next month for a couple of people who, got, who, got, who met online. Nothing wrong with internet dating. Uh, but this is one particular girl I met. I had some questions, but you know, you don't really know that person. And so I've always believed that as a Christian, uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you long to walk with God, and if you're going on, if you're exploring this dating idea, uh, you probably know this person's faith of, after a couple of dates because it's hard to hide if you're excited about Jesus. But after a couple of dates, I didn't really see that excitement. But again, in my back of my mind, I have some friends in the back here that says, hey, you should give it a try. See what, and so, so, the third, so the third time we hung out, and she, she said, oh, Conrad, I, 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 don't think I, I don't think I can say I love you yet. I was like, whoa. It's only the third date. It's only the third time we are, okay, we'll call this a date. It's just the third time we met here. She could have left it at that and maybe it was fine, but then she said, well, it's maybe because, um, you know, I, I don't usually go out with people who look like you. And I was like, yeah, I usually go with athletic type of guys. So... You're saying you don't want to see me again? No, I'm not saying that. I'm thinking, but I am. <laughs> see, the Spirit works in some strange ways, gets my attention the way He knows how to get my attention. And then yet, here I get a phone call from a friend who said, hey, I got this coworker of mine, and I was done. I was done. I was done trying to, you know, because I, I was actually content being single. I was like, you know what, 
If, if she shows up, she shows up. If the Lord meant for that, I don't necessarily think a person is, is, is meant to be single or meant to be married. God has sovereign in my life, and I'm just going to follow what he says. But then this friend kept being persistent and persistent, and so one day, this Mongolian girl in, in Langley, I met Rachel. I was just there to kind of, you know, do my friend, you know, kind of get my friend off my back. The next thing you know, we sat there for three hours talking, and there was no question about what she was like. No question about her faith, no question about her walk. She probably hates every single word I'm talking and saying right now. And the Spirit says, hey, this one, might want to slow down here, not brush it off too quickly. I hope I'm not minimizing the role of the Holy Spirit. But see, the Holy Spirit brings us to him, to the Trinity that we just sang about. And yet, strangely enough, if you ask, say, 10 Christians who the Holy Spirit is, you'll probably get six or seven different answers. Part of it is because the Holy Spirit works in our lives differently because of who we are, how we're made up, and God has personal relationships with us. He longs to have a personal relationship with us real and personal. And so, therefore, the way you function, I'm sure most of you don't hear God telling you, don't do it, you idiot. It's also different because... But yet, our understanding of the Holy Spirit may also differ because it's hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp some, uh, what we can't see and what we are told. Uh, strangely enough, when you become a Christian, you get told, the Holy Spirit now is inside you. It's like, okay, sure. What am I doing with that? What, what do I do with this? So let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, first of all, is powerful. And the Holy Spirit is also an equal in the Trinity. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's so powerful that he conceived our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke 1, when we, talk, when we read about the birth of Jesus, the angels replied to Mary, who asked, what's going on? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born with, will be, therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is powerful. It is the Holy Spirit that's responsible for us and our salvation. And that's the beginning of how it dwells inside us. Because when we come to him, we find ourselves focusing on the salvation of Jesus. He is linked. And the Holy Spirit, contrary to most popular belief or most, you know, quick answers to the Holy Spirit inside us, the Holy Spirit is more than just our conscience. Let's put it this way. There's nothing wrong, really, if I had chosen to ask a church-going girl to go on a date. In fact, sometimes, I don't know if I ever told Rachel this, my mentor, when I said, hey, I, I met a woman that I believe that God has called me to, to get to know more, one of my mentor said to me, is she a Christian? I was like, can you give me a little bit more credit than that? But 
at the same time, that's what we're content with today. It's like, oh, she's a Christian, or he's a Christian. You're dating a Christian. It's about dating goodness. So there's nothing wrong necessarily about dating a person inside a church, but he's more than a conscience. The Holy Spirit is hidden wisdom. We'll take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 briefly here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, in verse 6, we says, We do, however, speak of a wisdom among mature, but not in the wisdom of this age or the rulers of the age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak of God's hidden wisdom in a mystery a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. He continues uh, by saying, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written for, in Isaiah, what no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. It's hidden wisdom that God desires for us to carry with us through the Spirit. It is not just a guilty conscience or even a conscience of what's right or wrong. If we were to put the Holy Spirit as merely just a conscience, we're doing ourselves a disservice and we're probably insulting the Holy Spirit and the role in our lives. It is so powerful inside us. He is so powerful that He wants to be who we are because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a gift that God places inside us when we receive Jesus. This relational gift in, Roman, in, in Luke 11 says, If you then, who are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God longs to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we receive him, he wants to pour into us a relationship that is real and that is personal. He, want to, he, want to be, he wants to be with us. And that's his way of being with us, of walking with us, giving us the wisdom. Every time we pray, sometimes when I hear prayers, that give us the wisdom, Father. And we, we often think, okay, well, it's our wisdom. No, it's not my wisdom. It's not my wisdom that we, got, we chose to be surrounded by Christians. It would have been easy for us on a Sunday morning uh, when we are not serving to rest and stay home and enjoy the outdoors and enjoy whatever it is when it's not raining or when it's raining, we f- feel sorry for ourselves or something like that. I don't know. But it would have been easy for us to not connect. It would be easy for us to just say, yeah, you know what? We'll just do it. But it's, it's the wisdom of God that sends us that directs us, and it's also the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit that sets us free. I'm going to focus a little bit of time this morning on Romans chapter 8, because this is the freedom that God gives us when we receive the Holy Spirit. Let's read Romans chapter 8. It's going to be on the screen, but if you have it with you, we'll just do the first uh, first 1 to 17. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of the sin and death. 
For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did, and he condemned the sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as in as in a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit of life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law, but indeed it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, however, you are are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now Christ is in you. The body is dead because of the sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring you your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. A Holy Spirit is placed in our lives. There's debate about whether it's always been in our lives or whether it's something we uncover when we receive Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is placed in our lives, first and foremost, to set us free, to have that condemnation-free life. It is not a guilty conscience, as I said before, because a guilty conscience means that we're always scared, you know what I mean? Always scared of doing what's wrong, always living in fear of, you know, whether we're right or wrong, whether we want, somebody's going to be upset with us or not. Um, I'm a Chinese kid. I grew up. That's my culture. You're always scared. And, and so, and, and, and so you're always scared of, you know, what, what's going on. Are you going to be punishing? There's no punishment because the punishment was taken by Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is placed in us so that we may walk freely on this earth with a relationship with God that is condemnation-free. The fulfillment of the law in this passage is the fulfillment done by Jesus. And so when we have the Spirit in our lives, when you think of the Holy Spirit in your life, it is about that freedom, that freedom to experience what God longs for you and what God desires for you in your life. So if you're going to have a note and say, what can I do to be closer to the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a second, the main focus of the Spirit is freedom. That is his one desire for our lives. He goes on in verse 12 to say, to say this in verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's Son. For you did not receive 
a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and our children also heirs, heirs of the God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we also may be able to be glorified with him. In the opportunities in the last few years of church planting, when I have an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus, one time, all of a sudden, I heard the Spirit tell me to say something that I now say every time I lead someone to Jesus. As soon as I see that they want to, I say, hey, if you just want an easy way, I don't want you to do this if you just want an easy life. I don't want you to receive Jesus thinking all your problems will go away. In fact, I guarantee you, your pro- you will find more problems. The Spirit sets us free from the shackles of the earth, from the bondage of the earth, and it shows us reality, and sometimes, folks, reality sucks. It just does. Sorry, there's no, uh, you know, seminary type of way of saying it just sucks. And yet, the Spirit allows us to go to Him and cry out, Abba, Father, that we know that God longs to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death as we read in Psalms, as we sing, and gives us that heart hug comfort inside us. But more than that, gives us direction, gives us our ability to count on Him as our leader. So as you think of the Spirit, as you think of the Holy Spirit working in your life right now, it's freedom. And He's also our leader. He longs to lead us out of whatever trials And sometimes it's hard to explain, folks. We prayed this morning. We just prayed now. We saw the news this week. It's hard to explain to people. And sometimes, as I'm learning, as as we deal with different circumstances in our lives, whether physical or mental, it's hard. It's sometimes even more, it feels like it's only more damaging to tell somebody, hey, the Holy Spirit will be with you. Because people have tried. People have explored. And we focus on this thing called, okay, if you do this, that, and that, and that, the Holy Spirit will be with you. That's kind of like our mindset. Our mindset says, I've done this, therefore I deserve that. That's the human mindset. But that's not what God designed our lives to be. He designed our lives to be one that follows Him, and yet when we are in the valleys, that we get to call Him that we could cry out to him. It is not a promise of taking us out of problem. It's a promise of being with us and walking with us through the work of the Holy Spirit that's inside us. Well, then you may say, how do I get there? See, that's a question that I believe our world today 
ask a lot because we want direction. We want a GPS. We want a roadmap. We want somewhere to get there. We want that self-help to-do checklist. We want things to be able to say, you know, when we even talk about spiritual discipline and spiritual formation, part of our mindset sometimes can lead to us saying, okay, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to pray in the morning. I'm going to, pray the, I'm going to spend this time. I'm going to spend this time. And, and, and in our back of our mind, you may not admit it because it's a nice church and we don't want to show that our weaknesses, and yet in the back of our mind, you think, yeah, I, I've done that. It should work, right? Like, that's, that's why I come every Sunday morning. And yet, that's not the promise of God at all. If that is a promise, that is a promise of every other false god in the world who gets worshipped, who gets gathered, whatever temple, whatever circumstances they may all call themselves a gathering. But that's not the purpose of God. The purpose of God was never to do this, do that. The purpose of God was never for us to come to church. The purpose of God is to worship Him, follow Him, and trust the Spirit. So how do we do that? I mean, think of Mary, for example. We talked about Mary and Joseph earlier. Can you think of what it would process, what it was like to hear that the Holy Spirit has done some work and you're going to conceive Jesus. And think of the words that we read in Scripture. Joseph saw it in a dream. Mary had an angel, maybe more convincing than a dream. And the responses were, yes, Lord. Would you, in 2022, be able to say yes, Lord, to that? Think of the connection that they must have had to God. Think of the, the way that they just trust God. I know I would have some questions. I know I would be hesitant. I know I would be uncomfortable. And yet, the relationship is so close. It, it, for them, it's not a checklist. For them, it wasn't just something that they, they said, okay, well, it, 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 it hits all these points, so that must be true. It was a heart thing. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, it says, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God, we also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but by those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. It is not something we're going to understand. It is not a checklist that we can say, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. For them to turn to God and say, yes, Lord, we'll go through with this, is a heart relationship that they've drawn close. But you're here for a checklist, aren't you? You're here for a way to get closer. So I'm going to give you one. And yet this checklist is not a checklist, it's an evaluation. It's an evaluation on what we experience. In fact, later on in verse, in verse 14 of second, or 1 Corinthians 2, um, the person without a spirit does not receive what comes from the spirit because it's foolish to him. He is not able to understand since it is evaluated spiritually. 
we're going to take a look at some spiritual evaluations for us to draw close to the Spirit. It comes to us from 1 Corinthians 10. And this is a checklist I often use in my life. Verse 23 onwards. And when I say the first words, you're going to say, oh yeah, I've heard this before. Because it says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Like, hey, hold back. The words sound kind of weird. It's like, hey, hold back, don't do this. But you know what? God's, through, through the Apostle Paul, want this passage to be a passage of freedom. It actually desires us to set us free and help us draw our minds to his thinking. And what, he got, and what Paul is saying is that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, means that don't worry about what you're doing. Not every, everything is good on this earth that God created. Just that everything not, doesn't build up. So the first question when you think about how to draw closer to the Holy Spirit inside you and the decisions that you make is how does this decision affect my personal relationship with God? Does it bring, bring me closer or does it tear me? And as much as we want this lukewarm way of living, we know what Jesus says about lukewarm in Revelation. There's no decision, there's nothing that we do that doesn't either pull us closer to Jesus or push us farther away. And so Paul challenges the church in Corinth to think, what builds us up? What builds you up? And then the next verse, in verse 24, he says, no one is to seek his own good, but for the good of other people. So alongside with asking ourselves, what is, how, how does it affect my personal relationship with God? We also ought to ask ourselves, how does, how does this decision, how does this mindset, how does whatever we're doing affect others and their relationship with God? When I was a youth pastor, I often kid and say, well, you know, like, you may be enjoying a, it's like, you know, enjoying a bucket of ice cream in, in front of uh, somebody who's working their butt off on their treadmill. And while that sounds silly, there are other things that um, is permissible for us that may be not so helpful for others. How does our, how does our choices affect others and their walk? Does it lead to them getting closer to Jesus, getting closer to receiving Jesus, or getting closer, drawing closer so that they can experience Jesus more, or does it push them farther away just because we want something for our good? But then here's the kicker. In the verses after, Paul talks about what's been sacrificed with meat. He says in verse 25 and onwards, um, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience since the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. In the time that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, there was a lot of sacrificing going on. I grew up in a culturally Buddhist environment and family. My family wasn't Buddhist, but they 
it's kind of like here in North America, they celebrate Christmas, or, but they're not really Christians. It's just, a, so there's dates like that in Asia where, you know, you, you may not be practicing Buddhists, but you, you do certain things. And one of the things that they used to do was um, worship, I still do actually, is uh, uh, ancestral worship. And so they make these, this nice looking chicken to sacrifice to, to, to the ancestors. Of course, five-year-old Conrad just likes chicken. So, you know, I get into my, my, grand, my, my grandparents' apartment, and, and I see, ooh, chicken. And I just got, that's for your so-and-so. I was like, who's so-and-so? I never met so-and-so. No offense to those who may be practicing, but that's the kind of worship we're talking about. But Paul says, don't worry about it. Eat everything else out there. Don't worry for the sake of conscience. The question then becomes, Am I adding worry unnecessarily? Am I adding to my list of worries, to the list of things that um, are already challenging, unnecessary? Because we do a lot of that, don't we? We do a lot of that as humans. We don't know, and, and, some, and a lot of times it's valid. We don't know where our paychecks are coming from next. We don't know where our lives gonna be next. We don't know what it's gonna look like next week. And yet, Paul says, eat everything. Take everything in. Are you adding to your worries? But at the end of the day, the last question that we ask when we're faced with a decision is in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. What, are our, what do our decisions look like when it comes to the kingdom of God? Am I helping, enhancing? Am I being used as a vessel for God when I make these decisions? Or am I thinking about myself? See, regardless of whether you are single, wondering if you're gonna get married, I had a friend who once told me, Conrad, of course the spirit would say, don't do this, you idiot. Think about the damage that this person could have done to your ministry when you're having issues, not necessarily agreeing how to do things, but why? <laughs> like, why serve God? Whether you're married and trying to figure out what's next for your family, whether you're a professional wondering if, you know, where are you gonna hire more people? And even in ministry, I have friends who are missionaries, come to Vancouver to try, plant, to try to plant churches. They go to different parts of the world to serve God. And they come from families who are the reason why they're Christians in the first place. And yet when they share these passions, these dreams with their families, they, some of them get told, why are you taking my grandkids away? And I know in my own life, every time that a spirit speaks, there's a crisis of belief. One of my favorite uh, books that changed my life is called Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby wrote, 
There's a crisis of belief when the Spirit speaks, we have to adjust. And a crisis is not necessarily what to do, it's do you believe God the way you long to? See, when we become Christians and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, we, we basically said we, we don't want to be comfortable. We want to know the will of God and, and follow regardless of the cost because the cost has been paid for by Jesus. And yet there are costs that we wrestle with, that we have a hard time with. We're still going through that right now in the next phase in our lives. We don't know what the cost is going to be, but we know there's a cost. And yet it's not about a comfortable life, it's about being able to say, Abba, Father, come lead me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to lead us. We ask for you to bring the spirit up inside us to our surface so that we don't need the drastic shakedown in order to hear you. That we may one day walk close to you. And until we see your face, Father, we pray that the spirit that dwells inside us as Christians that we move, that you move all the mountains away so that we can experience your leadership and your wisdom. Open up this hidden wisdom that's inside us. Open up that passion that you have for our lives and use us as a vessel. Help us evaluate spiritually so that we may draw closer to you. Help us not think of how comfortable it may be for us but what's good for those who don't know you and what's best for your kingdom. Father, we thank you. I thank you for Eagle Ridge Bible Fellowship. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to worship together. We get to celebrate God together. We get to celebrate you together. We get to serve you together. And Father, as we progress in, in these days, as we draw closer to you through spiritual formation, we ask that you empower us to look not for our own good, but for the good of others, because that's where your spirit lies inside us. You long for us to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.